Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. Hello a and podcast. welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. And I'm super excited because... I've got a super special co-host with me tonight. Who's my co-host? It's me. I am Knitting Daddy Greg. Hi, Greg. (laughs) Greg. I I, I host the Unraveling Podcast, which is a podcast about knitting, crochet, sewing, and other fiber arts. That's over at unravelingpodcast.com. And that's a perfect tie-in for fishing, so that's why I'm here. I also write a blog on knittingdaddy.com. Um, I learned how to fish when I was a kid in Eastern North Carolina. I've been fishing ever since. I've got an eight-year-old daughter now. We love to fish together. My Perfect. wife loves to go fishing with me. I've been listening to Fish Nerds for a while. And I am really excited and a little bit confused about co-hosting. <laughs> so this is going to be great times. Well, I'll tell you, the reason I do I do this all the time, I, have a, I get co-hosts on from other podcasts that have nothing to do with fishing because I – sincerely believe everything has to do with fishing. I, there's not a single topic I've ever come across where I can't connect it with fishing somehow. So whether it's that like beer, your superpower? Yes, yeah, so it's a superpower. Because, <laughs> well, when you're a fish nerd, that's all you're thinking about. You're like, oh, well, we can talk about fishing there, you know? So whether, yeah. whether it's, you know, any kind of podcast and knitting, you're tying knots. Which yeah. <laughs> you're already there yeah. in your hat. You've got, you got a hat on today that looks like a fish eating your head. So... That's a win. Yes, I'm, anyway, I'm wearing the, the dead fish hat. The dead fish hat. So welcome to the podcast. I'm happy you're being here, and you'll be with us the whole show tonight. But we have a big show coming up for, uh, for the listeners, for you guys. So here's what's happening. We have um, our Fish Nerds fly fishing correspondent, Rich Collins. He's going to check in. He finally, he's been trying for years, he's been on a quest to catch a pike on the fly. He finally did it. He's going to come on and share his expertise with you. Tim Beat, our fish nerds essayist, is here. He's going to talk all about minimalist fishing, how you can get away with fishing with nothing, and how somehow that leads you to everything. And we have Greg here. We're going to talk more about knitting in a few minutes. And, of course, the news will come up as well. So that's pretty exciting. So, Greg, let's, let's start with you since you're right here, staring right at um, me. Right here. Right here. Uh, you make a knitting podcast. Uh, first of all, like like – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out of the gate a little bit sexist, and I apologize. Generally speaking, in the knitting world, you don't see a lot of big, hairy men. Have you found I, that to be the case? I, that is what I found to be the case before I entered the knitting world. There actually are a lot of big, hairy men in the knitting world. Um, but uh, it's, uh, you're right. The, the traditional idea is that, you know, you got some, some like, old grandmothers doing my knit one pearl to making mm-hmm. a Sylvester and Tweety, you know, hat yeah. or whatever. Uh, but it is, uh, it, there's every, everybody there's, there's young folks, there's old folks, there's men, there's women. It's a, uh, it's a wide universe over here. It is. Now I used to work in uh, childcare at a facility for kids who were removed from their families because of abuse and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were violent and hard to be around. And one of the therapies the kids used to calm their brains was knitting. Like it was a, they were mm. trained to show them some knitting and they would just sit and knit and knit and knit and knit for hours to soothe their brain. 
So do you find it relaxing? Absolutely. That's, that's actually how I got started knitting. Uh, I started knitting in 2012 when my daughter was born and she was uh, about right, 10 weeks kids are premature. Terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and, and she was she was 10 weeks premature and she's doing great now, but she was in, in the hospital for five weeks before she could come home. And one night, one of the uh, nurses was handing out hand-knitted and crocheted hats to the families that had kids in the, in the NICU. And uh, so we got one. I'm looking at these. My wife's looking at it, and, and she she you know, she's pointing out how beautiful it is, how artistic it is. I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking, I see math here, a lot of geometry, <laughs> a lot of you know like structure and everything. Because I'm I'm a software engineer by by design, so I'm I see math. And I got my mother-in-law to teach me how to knit the next day, so I could start making hats for my daughter. And I've been knitting ever since. So a little over eight years now. Eight years, and now you make a you make a podcast to go along with the journey that's called the Unraveling Podcast. I've listened, and I knew about six words in the first half an hour, so it was very right. lingo, very lingo heavy podcast. Very, very much for the uh, knitting nerds out there. So very much a niche, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, that's where the money's at. <laughs> so, <laughs> really, I, somebody needs to show that to me. <laughs> I keep hearing the riches are in the niches, uh, but I, as a, uh, yeah. as a podcaster, I've not seen any, uh, no, any real not money. These niches, <laughs> right, no, right? Not in there. Yeah, yeah. it's all. If, if you did a weight loss podcast or a how to make money podcast or true crime, right. you might have those. Niches oh yeah, that you need. true crime is where it's at. You need to make a true crime knitting podcast. With fishing. With fishing, fishing where fish are knitting. the murder weapon. That's right. Excellent. Yeah. Right. I like that. Yeah. I'm there. So let's, let's get a bit to talk about fishing because this is a fishing podcast. And if we talk right. knitting all day, everyone's going to stop listening. Um, right. Unless they're knitters. So, so our, our two listeners, you and someone else will keep listening who, who knit. But tell, <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell me about knitting and the connection that you have with fishing because I know you fish anyway. Uh, right. But, but let's let's bring them together, and and how do they fit together? So for me, uh, I've, I've got a, a couple of knitting and fishing stories. Uh, the the first is several years ago, uh, I was on a fishing trip with uh, my father in law and and brother in law and uncle in law out on the coast of North Carolina, and we go every year uh, to uh, Cape Lookout. We stay there for a week, have a great time. This was um, the second or third year we went. And we got there, and the first night we were uh, we ate. We were unloading um, all of our all of our dirty dishes, and, and went to go wash them, and realized we did not have a dishcloth, and we we just used paper towels and everything, and it worked fine. But we went through about a half a roll of paper towels cleaning our dishes. I had my knitting with me. I would, had been knitting socks and I was going to be knitting some hats during the week, during the downtime. So I ended up actually knitting a dishcloth for us to use. Perfect. Yeah. I was like knitting to the rescue right there. And it was, it was great. It was relaxing. It was kind of hilarious. It was the absolute worst dishcloth you could ever have. <laughs> well, well, yarn is not known for a great dishwashing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Abilities. Yarn by itself is not, but if you get cotton yarn, uh, that, that's what dishcloths are made at, made from. The yarn I had was not cotton yarn. It was acrylic, wool, and nylon. Oh, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> great for a sweater, great right. for a hat, but horrible for a for for um, for for water. But we 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 worked it out. It, it worked fine for the week. I ended up giving the cloth to my father in law as a Christmas present later that year. As a reminder, <laughs> always pack a dishcloth. 
Uh, I've told the story several times. Uh, one of my, um, many of my friends said, why didn't you just use a t-shirt? Cause that would have been a great, yeah, was, oh, yeah that would have been a yeah. lot easier than, than knitting something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There but, you but there's go. no story a in a t-shirt. There's no, no story. story like, t-shirt. Yeah. So I took my shirt off and washed dishes up. Well, we've all done that. But, yeah, we've, but be able exactly. to, to take <laughs> out two. It? Yeah, right. So to be able to take out two long pieces of wood and knit a washcloth to right. wash your dishes, that's badass, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad and ass at the same time. So I guess that's badass. <laughs> check the boxes. Anyway. <laughs> We'll, we'll go with that. So, but it, it was fun. And, and so that's, that's kind of like a, a tangential tie into fishing because we spent the week fishing, uh, catching, catching fish out on the coast. Well, so be that specific. Was what were you fishing for? What were you catching? We were fishing, uh, really hoping to get some red drum or channel bass. Um, so this is down what, Carolinas? It is in uh, Cape Lookout in North Carolina. Okay. And it, uh, we, we've been going every year for 10 years or so. Um, we, we don't get the drum. Other folks there, they, they get drum. We usually get uh, bluefish and uh, some whiting, get uh, a trout every now and then. Uh, sometimes flounder, which we have to throw back because recreational fishing uh, for uh, flounder in North Carolina has a very, very limited season. Uh, get some black drums sometimes. And my favorite is the puffer fish, uh, the, the Atlantic puffer. And we usually used to, we would throw those back, but my brother, we were catching so many, my brother-in-law looked up how to, how to clean them and, and cook them. And so we get those now that you get a couple of, uh, slivers of, of white meat off of their, their backbone. And it's kind of like a, like a fish nugget. So it's yeah, not it's much to it, <laughs> not much to it. And, uh, the neurotoxin is not high enough to, to be concerning like the Pacific version, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, it's great. That's so, yeah. cool. Well, that's amazing. So I'm glad you got them. And red drum fishing is, is hard work. I've got a few in my, right. under my belt. I went with a guide in, um, in, uh, uh where was it? New Orleans once. And we're throwing mm-hmm. spoons all day and just missing, 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 not catching anything. And he goes, and I bring clients out um, <laughs> who don't know how to fish well. I just put a, uh, a shrimp under a cork and they catch tons. I'm like, well, why are we throwing more? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> as soon as we put a shrimp catching, under, not fishing. <laughs> exactly. As soon as we put shrimp under a cork, we started catching them like crazy. There was like dozens of them. Right. I was like, oh, that was so easy. <laughs> why, why make it hard? I don't know. I, well, you know, that's why people fly fish because <laughs> fishing right. is, it turns yeah. out fishing is really easy. So I've always imagined right. though, that you can tie, tie flies out of yarn. Is that a thing you've experienced? It, you know, it is. Uh, and, and you got me to do this if, uh, a month or so ago, I was talking about something and, and, and you, you made the comment, you know, have you ever caught a fish with yarn? And I said, no, but I sure as heck, I'm going to look that up and you know, figure out what I can do. I actually uh, searched around on Google a little bit, and I found a, a blog post written earlier this year by a fellow who was catching uh, who was catching crappie with yarn, uh, just like crimped to a uh, hook with a with a slip shot, and it was really easy. To, and it wasn't even doing any elaborate tying; just taking about an inch or so of yarn and just you know smashing it to the the hook uh, with with pliers and, and the slip shot. So I said, I bet I can do that. Of course. And you sure can. enough, I did. Yeah. I'm like, do I have yarn? I yep. look around my house. I got yarn everywhere. Yes, I do. have yarn. <laughs> do, do, do I have some slip shot? Yes, I do. Do I have hooks? Of course I do. And so one night I made three or four, uh, um, 
I set three or four of them up. And the next day or a few days later, we went out to one of the local lakes in Greensboro and did some, did some fishing off the pier. I was uh, trying to see if I get anything off of one of the piers. Nothing was biting. So we moved over to another pond. And as soon as I tossed it in the water, I got a hit and I was pulling a catfish in. Perfect. It was a tiny catfish, Who but cares? yeah, <laughs> it was big enough to eat. I mean, I, I took it home and ate it and, uh, it, but it, it was great. It was just, it was amazing to have just such a simple, a hook with a piece of yarn. It was, it was so simple. There was nothing to it. And I'm pulling in a fish. Yeah. I mean, my, my best crappie fly ever tied was a hook with a piece of green string to it and just dangling on the hook, just tied. To, that was it. <laughs> nothing else there. Just a green yeah. string tied to a hook. <laughs> and it caught tons of fish. It doesn't matter. Fish don't yeah. care. Yeah. yeah, fishing's easy, right? Yeah. Fishing's easy. The match in the hatches pretend. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Fish are hungry, they're going to eat. So that's, that's right. cool. That's really cool. Well, let's, mo- let's move on here. This uh, Fish Nerds episode, the podcast, brought to you by Spreadem, a portable outrigger for trolling fish. We featured that on last week's episode. It's a one-of-a-kind adjustable assistant for hooking up multiple lines to your boat without the hassle of crossing lines. Everyone that's used the prototype has loved it, and it's great for trolling fish in any boat with your friends. More lines equals more fish. And we encourage Fish Nerds listeners to support. This is a local main inventor who built this thing. He's been working on it for years. And even if you can't afford the $400 for the whole uh, piece of equipment, throwing him you know, 5 bucks, 20 bucks, every little bit helps out, helps to get his product to market. Go to kickstarter.com slash uh, project slash spread them or just search for spread them, spread dash EM on Kickstarter and you can help support them. We'll put links in the show notes. We you also want to uh, go ahead. You had, a, you had a conversation with him on a recent episode, didn't you? Yeah, last week. Yeah. Michael Willette, friend of mine. I've known him for since the Fishner started. He's been inventing weird fishing products. He has a lot of cool stuff, uh, but this one I think he's really nailed it on. So Excellent. Yeah, it's been really cool getting to know him and watching his progression. And I hope he, uh, hope he gets to market because I, I put in the full amount. I'm, I'm all in on this. Item. You're all in. I'm all in. Yeah. yeah. So now he's sponsoring us. Maybe I'm getting money back. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get it, I'll, I'll come up and you can, take, you can take me on a guide trip. And, Perfect. Uh, well, the nice thing about out. trolling is you got lots of time. So you could be knitting socks. I, I'll knit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll knit you up a hat while we troll. In a net. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. We also want to thank our Patreon supporters for this episode. Go to patreon.com slash fishnerds. And uh, we have a brand new Patreon at the $5 level named Nathan Otto. Thank you, Nathan, for dropping five bucks in our hat. Uh, anyone who donates at the $5 level is entered to win our monthly contest. And I give away just crap I find in my office. Last month, we interviewed Lulu Miller about the book, Why Fish Don't Exist. So I'm going to randomly select a Patreon subscriber. I'm going to mail them my, my copy of this book, Why Fish Don't Exist. And uh, if I can find some stickers, you'll get some stickers too. And maybe some of the crap I got laying around my office um, in one second. I also want to thank Beth Metz for donating at, the 20, donating at the $25 a month level. Anyone who donates at that level, I mentioned their business. Beth has no business, but she will haunt you if you Stand in the mirror at the middle of the night and say her name 10 times in a row. She will haunt your dreams. And Josh Lopes from lobestax.com. Uh, he's giving us $25 a month also. He's also my neighbor. I'm his plow guy, and that's how he gives me money. <laughs> so, <laughs> so pretty cool. Uh, so let's do the giveaway. I'm going to go to a random number generator. What I'm going to do here, so I have a witness. So I'm not 
biasing anything. I'm going to share my screen here with, with Greg so that he can see <clears throat> so that he can see what I'm up to. Uh, and I'm going to go to a random num number generator. I've got 40, there's 44 Patreon subscribers, but only 22 at the $5 level. So I've got Let's a ran that. random number generator. We're from one to 22. There's 44 Patreon subscribers uh, who are giving money, but only 22 at the $5 level or more. So I put them in a spreadsheet and I'm going to hit generate and a number's going to come up. And Greg, what number do you see here? I see 18. You see 18. So now I'm going to my spreadsheet. So there's no manipulation. And number 18 is Kevin. Let's see. Kevin Kupzik from Omaha, Nebraska. So Kevin, you are this month's winner and I have your address. So I will send that to you this week. So congratulations, Kevin. If you want to get on that drawing, patreon.com slash fishster. It's $5 a month and you are in and we're supporting the podcast. It's just over a dollar an episode. Money well spent for an hour of entertainment, I hope, if you get some value out of it. I think so. Yeah, I think it's well worth it. So sorry, Greg, you didn't win. It's okay. It would have been weird it, if you that, did. <laughs> that would have been really weird. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, let's jump in. It's time for Tim Beat, our Fish Nerds essayist. He has an essay where he's going to talk all about being a minimalist fisher. And I think we need some happy music for him. There's nothing like minimalist fishing. Going to a creek with your ultralight rod and a few lures in your pocket. Nothing to weigh you down and the day stretching out in front of you. I'll admit, it was easier when I was young and didn't have much gear to take. When I was a kid, I didn't know anyone who owned more than one rod, and our tackle boxes, if we had one, were mostly empty. Maybe a spinner or two and a balsam minnow, a bobber and some hooks and weights. Sometimes I went years without even changing my line. To get back to those minimalist days, I called my friend Bud to go creek fishing with me and told him I'd pick him up at 5 a.m. I wanted to get to the creek before sunrise. When I arrived at his house, Bud was waiting in the driveway. I could tell he was deep in thought because when he's thinking, he bites his lip and looks like he's eaten too much Taco Bell. What's up, I asked as I got out of the car. Well, said Bud... I was watching a YouTube video yesterday. When Bud starts a conversation with, I was watching a YouTube video yesterday, it's never a good thing. I'm convinced the Russians are trying to ruin my fishing trips by trolling Bud with crazy videos. Bud continued, I was watching a YouTube video yesterday about matching your lure to what the fish are eating, and the expert fishing guru said the size of the lure can make a big difference in whether you catch fish or not. That's probably true, I replied, but so what? Well, said Bud, when I was packing a small box with a few lures for today's trip, I couldn't fit the different sizes I needed in a small box. So I decided to bring a second box. Bud raised his eyebrows, which he always did as a way to ask if I approved. No big deal, I said. Bring a second box if you want. And, Bud continued, the fishing expert guru said that in addition to the size of your lure, the color of your lures is also very critical. Sure, I prodded. So? Well, said Bud, 
I thought I should be prepared, so I added a third small box of lures so I could have both size and color variation. He raised his eyebrows again. Fine, I said, hoping this was the end of the conversation. Let's get in the car and get to the creek. It's almost dawn. Well, Bud stammered, the three boxes wouldn't fit in my hip pack, so I decided to use a small backpack I have. Bud looked for my approval again, as he clearly thought he had broken some rule of minimalist fishing. No worries, I said, trying to reassure him. Bring your backpack. Well, Bud continued, I saw another YouTube video about this guy who was fishing and got stranded during a huge storm. He had to survive on his own for 10 days before he was rescued, and he shared a list of all the essential items he wished he'd brought with him. Now I was exasperated. And, I prodded. Well, said Bud sheepishly, my small backpack wouldn't fit my tent, flare gun, dehydrated food bags, first aid kit, machete, cooking utensils, and winter clothes. Wait, what? Winter clothes, I interrupted in disbelief. It's the middle of July. You never know how long you might be stranded, Bud said with confidence. I scratched my head. We were going fishing in a small creek that was only a quarter mile from a major highway. Where was the guy in the video stranded, I asked out of curiosity. His plane went down on an island in the South Pacific, Bud replied. And I know what you're thinking, he added quickly. We're not flying in a plane in the South Pacific today. That was the most intelligent thing Bud had said all morning. It did cross my mind, I said. But if your car breaks down... We might get stranded in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot and have to survive on jelly crawlers until we get rescued. But don't worry, we wouldn't need a tent for that. I know the manager, and they're open 24 hours, so we could just sit at the counter until we're rescued. I raised my eyebrows to see if he approved. You never take my concerns seriously, Bud said with indignation. Well, he was right about that. There was the time Bud had read that bull sharks can live in fresh water and bought a set of magnetic anti-shark bracelets that he wore on both wrists and ankles when we went fishing at a local pond. Bud was convinced that we didn't see any sharks that day because of the bracelets. When we ate dinner that night at Red Lobster, Bud was still wearing the bracelets and claimed the live lobsters in the tank backed away as he approached, further proof that the bracelets were a great idea. And then there was the time Bud was convinced aliens could read his mind and lined his fishing hat with tinfoil as a precaution. The funny thing was, Bud only cared about aliens reading his mind because he was afraid they'd steal his secret fishing spots. Otherwise, he was an open book. When I suggested that he invent a bracelet that could both repel sharks and prevent aliens from reading his mind, Bud was not amused. Although I know him well enough that I'm sure he worked for several weekends on the project. So, I urged, put your large backpack into your car and let's go. I felt good that I'd closed the conversation. Bud didn't move. There is the matter of the emergency generator, he said. Please don't tell me you plan to carry a generator with you while fishing the creek, I pleaded. Of course not, Bud assured me as if I was being silly. I couldn't carry that much weight while fishing. I responded. You had me worried there for a minute. Nothing to worry about, said Bud. I went to the store last night and bought 50 extension cords. I can leave the generator running by the car, 
connect the extension cords, clip the end of the final cord to my backpack, and I'll have electricity with me the whole time we wade up the creek. When Bud shares his ideas, he often leaves people speechless. This was one of those times. I scratched my head again. Bud, that is a great idea, I said. As you know, I'm not wearing shark-repellent bracelets. So, if I get attacked by a bull shark in the creek, you can whip out the electric fry pan you have in your backpack and make me bacon and eggs for breakfast while we wait for the rescue helicopter. Exactly, said Bud, and you'll thank me for it. But we can't take my car. This actually wasn't a surprise because Bud's car was often out of commission. Broken again, huh? I asked. No, no, it's running fine, said Bud. But there was this YouTube video that said you should always have gear on hand for the largest fish you might catch in the body of water. Which would probably be a two-pound smallmouth bass, I offered. Or a 400-pound bull shark, Bud countered. They can live in fresh water. All my heavy saltwater gear won't fit in my car, so I rented a truck. We need to go pick up the truck on the other side of town, come back to my house, load up my gear, and then we can head to the creek. Are you sure you have enough gas for your generator, I said sarcastically. You're right, Bud agreed. We should pick up an extra gas can and stop by the gas station on our way. By the time we got to the creek, it was noon. While Bud was unloading the truck, I saw a kid ending his fishing day and asked him what he'd caught. Ninety-four smallmouth, he said excitedly. You should have been here at sunrise. The fish were busting everywhere. I forgot my tackle box at home and had to fish with the same lure for the entire day. Good thing I didn't lose it. But now that the sun's high in the sky, the fish have turned off. I sighed. So much for being on the creek before dawn for some minimalist fishing. But so the day wouldn't be a complete loss, I said, Hey kid, I'll give you five bucks if you go tell that guy unloading the truck that you saw a huge bull shark in the creek today. Sure, he said, snatching the bill from my hand. But who would ever believe that? Well, I know at least one person. Well, thanks, Tim. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for sharing that essay with me. Greg, what did you think of that essay? <laughs> that essay was amazing. Remarkable. He's a great writer, and we're so lucky to have him on the podcast. So what I was your favorite it. part? <laughs> the part where he talked about it being minimalist. Yeah, totally good. So, all that right. <laughs> so good. So good. So that was Tim B. We appreciate that. So I think it's about time that we jump into some fish in the news. Greg, I asked you to bring a couple of news stories with you. and I brought some with me as well so we can jump in and talk about the news. Let me just hit this magic orange button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves Everybody love loves the fish in the news. Button. Yes. Oh, it's, I love this mixer. Thank you, Patreon people, for giving it to me. Because <laughs> I can just hit it anytime I want to. All right. Yeah. So, Greg, you brought some news? I brought a, I brought a piece of news. Uh, this is from the Coastal Review Online. It was an article that came out on October 19th this year by Catherine Kozak. And it is titled, Lakes Health Requires Ridding It of Carp. Uh, so this is a uh, it, it's 
uh, I'm not going to read the whole article because there are a lot of words in it. So many but, words. <laughs> so many <laughs> words. Uh, but it is, it, it's actually really fascinating, and I, I recommend everyone uh, – take a take a look at it but this is in Hyde County North Carolina and um, captain tells us that as engineers start work on designs to manage the water levels and flooding at Lake Matamaskeet restoration of its water quality depends as much on a new plan to remove 99% of the invasive common carp muddying the lake mm. unless they're gone water won't clear lake plants won't come back and pollution will worsen so they say currently there is more than 1 million carp, a total of 4.3 million pounds of body mass swimming in the state's largest natural lake. That's crazy. <laughs> so it much. It's absolutely carp. crazy. Now, yes, there's a lot of carp. Yeah. So what are they recommending people do? Just go out and kill them all? They are, uh, they are actually partnering with uh, an organization they've got a grant and they are going to put some uh, some traps on the canals that feed into the lake that should trap the carp but not trap other fish and crabs that that come through um they're they're carp barriers on the tide gates and um they like i said like i said the, these barriers are not going to block the other fish and they're also going to uh hire some commercial fishermen to come in and just catch as much stuff as they can they'll take the carp out anything else they catch they'll put back in the lake interesting and they don't say what they're doing with the carp once they get them out yeah i what, what would you do with a million carp well, a million is <laughs> a lot but they're edible i mean you could totally just have it you could feed the the, the countryside there couldn't you you, you could and this is this is a very rural area of north carolina i've actually been there um and it, it's a it's really interesting because all around this lake is, is a lot of farmland historically mm -hmm. it's been farmland right now a lot of the stuff that's immediately on the edge of the lake are duck impoundments where people have created impoundments for for attracting duck for duck hunting right and that's that's contributing to the problem as well because well, the, because duck poop is no good they're adding a lot of fertilizer to the lake that is not getting consumed and it, that's killed off a lot of the vegetation. That's, you know, the subaquatic ve vegetation. And then the corn that they're planting is also not getting harvested and taken off. It's also decaying into the lake. And so it's, it's just changing the whole makeup of the, of the lake. It's a, it's, it's a big mess. And, and we learned a few weeks ago, um, Doc Martin interviewed a scientist and we found out that, uh, that, that ducks can eat carp eggs and then they travel in the duck shit and that's how right. they travel like, so uh, it's a huge problem <laughs> right yeah yeah so so we so what, what happens we, we get the carp out and then the duck go eat some carp eggs and bring them right back in yeah they haven't found a lot of examples that actually happening in the wild they said it's possible not yeah. not a norm that was, that was one of my favorite stories from from the podcast uh, i love that episode doc martin's pure gold by the way she so. is she is <laughs> So, so do they, they don't actually don't tell you, there's a long article and it's a it lot is. of these coastal like online reviews and nonprofits write these articles. So they go into like detail. They don't say how the carp got there or why the carp were brought there to begin with. Which I no, uh, they, they did mention that the, the carp have been there for several decades. Right, so they're, they're not a new phenomenon. Uh, it's just that uh, several decades ago, the, the, the lake was healthier. And yeah. so it wasn't a problem. So it's it's a problem now. Don't know how they and got here. 
Yeah, the carp were brought to the United States as a food fish. They was thought that they would become mm-hmm. the normal food people would eat because they they get huge. You get a lot of meat off of each one, and they're an efficient fish to eat because you get when you get one big carp, you can feed a lot of people. Right. They just never caught on in this country as a food fish, and they are delicious. You can totally eat them. I highly recommend if you catch one, if it's not in um, high mercury level waters or something, <laughs> you go for it and you eat it. Uh, people don't eat them, uh, but they're really, really good. Right. So, yeah, I, I was looking. I've never had carp. I've never caught a carp. I've never eaten carp. And, I was, and I've heard that it, it's not a popular fish to eat. Nope. And so I was looking, looking about it, and some of the things I found said that uh, because they're rooting around in the mud, you know, they, they've got a very strong taste. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that folks don't like them. And so some other folks were suggesting if you wanted to, to eat a carp, catch your carp, then put it in fresh water for three or four days and then take in, you know, then eat it after that. So. Right. Yeah, that's a recommendation, but they're not bad. I, I made a uh, gefilte fish out of it when we caught our carp. I was on the quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in the state. Right. And it tasted like, uh, like a fish meatloaf. And it was oh, delightful. Man. I'm down Dipping for that. I'm down sauce. for that. Great. I could totally yeah. eat carp again. The problem in New Hampshire, where I live, is the carp are all full of mercury, so you end up with some problems, um, you know, there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So that's anyway, nice. yeah, that, that's my story about uh, ridding the lake needs to be rid of carp. Uh, if you read the whole article, you find out that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, there's the duck problem we talked about. Also, mm-hmm. all the farmland nearby is draining into the lake as well, and so that just that just compounds the problem and the whole area, everything in that area is at or below sea level. Mm-hmm. So it's a very flat area uh, with our, with our uh, rising water um, levels because of climate change and everything. The lake itself doesn't drain like it used to. So it won't flush out. So there's oh, it just, gets just worse not and worse. moving out. Yeah. yeah. You'll never get them all out. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're hoping by 2023 that they'll have them all out. That's a short we'll window. See. They need a bunch yeah, they, of kids. Like need to like in, in, like get the schools involved and get a bunch of kids out there with fishing rods and just right. do them one carp at a time. The kids would never get tired of it. I I I, I would go there for that. I would too. I would yeah, totally let's do, do it. it. Let's All do right. it. Thank you. Thank you for that. I got a story from the New York Times. Okay. It's big. I'm going to play a, a little audio, uh, a little jingle to help you think about this story. I'll help you get in the mood. Feel free to sing along. Baby shark, do 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 baby shark, do 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 baby shark, do 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 do She's got the knitting needles. Oh, yeah. That's our earworm for this this story. This is a true story from New York Times, so we know it's well-researched. Jail employees face charges after using Baby Shark's song to punish inmates. (laughs) Inmates at an Oklahoma jail were handcuffed to a wall and forced to stand. This is true. And listen to the ubiquitous children's tune upon repeat. Run away, indeed. Oh, they go on and on and on. I, I don't know how much more I need to share with you, but three former jail employees. Oh, it's still going. I got to stop it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, doesn't the Constitution jail- say something about cruel and unusual punishment? It doesn't say anything about sharks, though. 
Uh, three former jail employees in Oklahoma are facing criminal charges after they forced inmates to listen repeatedly to Baby Shark, the popular children's song. This is absolutely true story. <laughs> Kristen Miles and Gregory Butler, both 21 and former Oklahoma County jail detention officers, as well as their former supervisor, Christopher Hendershot, were charged on Monday with cruelty to prisoners and corporal punishment to an inmate and conspiracy, <laughs> Oklahoma <laughs> County District Court, District Court records show. On at least five, five occasions, it happened five times, in November and December wow. involving five inmates, each separately, Mr. Miles and Mr. Butler placed the inmate into an empty attorney visitation room uh, and the two then handcuffed the inmate against the wall, forcing him to stand for as long as two hours and Baby Shark was playing on repeat through a computer while the inmate was forced to listen. The song was a joke between Miles and Butler, Mr. Miles told investigators. So, wow. Be careful about how you torture your inmates. What song, if you were choosing a song to torture someone with, what song would you choose? Anything by the Dave Matthews Band. What would you choose? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what he has, but... His his voice just freaks me out, man. It's really freaky. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does a good version of that uh, "Long Black Veil," that Johnny Cash song, uh, or Lefty Frizzell song, I guess. But uh, yeah, it, all of his original stuff, I, I, not my cup of tea. I don't think I heard the name of the artist you said. Uh, Dave Matthews Band. Oh, Dave Matthews. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, look at that. Look at that. I'm just gonna like get everyone to hate me now. <laughs> I know Dave Matthews Band. He's my best friend. Yes. I, I'm a DJ on the radio. We play a lot. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. I think I would play uh, Cardi B or oh, yeah. one of those kind of songs. But, right. But yeah, but that's a true story from the New York Times. So you know it's true, well researched, uh, and that's Baby Shark. So that's Fish in the News. Let's wrap that up. Whether you're oh, from wrong button. <laughs> the orange button, Clay. Orange button. I'm learning. I should Ooh. label my buttons, and I would get it right every time. Right. <laughs> All right. So now uh, we are joined by our fish nerds fly fishing correspondent, Rich Collins, who is going to talk all about fly fishing for pike. I interviewed him last night. We did a live stream on Facebook for those who are in it. And so we're going to put that right in the show right here. So All right, fish nerds, it's our lucky day because Rich Collins, our effing fly fishing correspondent, is here with us tonight to talk all things fly fishing for pike because he is an expert pike fisherman as of this weekend. Hi, Rich. (laughs) Expert, the most moody creature in the world. Um, I don't know if anybody's an expert on fly fishing for these guys. But you did it. Well, I had a little help. Yeah, um, I go with I go with Mason from uh, White Mountain Anglers. Um, we've gone many times, and he tries to school me on how to do it better. And I usually don't listen. I think mm-hmm. last time we went, I gave up, um, cracked a beer, and got a spinning rod, and was like, "Screw this!" And then I watched his uh, his cousin catch like a fifty five inch on a fly right in front of me, and I just sat there going, "Why do I quit?" So um, it's a patience game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's my experience with pike fishing overall is it's it, mostly it's a fail game until you don't fail anymore. Unless you're trying to catch bass, then you catch them all the time, right? 
Which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, some people get annoyed because they bite through the line and they destroy lures and they eat the plastics and the rubber and all that. So a lot of people get mad at them. But um, So you were saying you went with Mason Thagoras from White Mountain Anglers. And, yeah, yeah. And where'd you guys go? Um, Connecticut River, same place everybody goes. It's <laughs> the only place. <laughs> You know, more reservoir I know a little bit better than the lower or parts of the river or um, Comerford Reservoir. I went by myself once uh, this year trying to find something, but uh, we go wherever there's water, I guess, now. It's the, the, the 2020, um, so just the main part of the river. Yeah, and with our drought we've had here in New Hampshire, the water's been kind of wonky. We went, at least in Conway, where I live, we had no water for the last month, and we only just got our water back on this week, so I finally took a shower. <laughs> <laughs> I could smell you through the mic. <laughs> so let's talk. So you went with Mason. This is like your 10th time going for him. Well, yeah, I, I've gone quite a few times for the fly only. Um, I go by myself. I never get anything because it's really hard to man a boat and, and work for these fish. The fish of, I don't know if it's 1,000 casts or 10,000 casts, but they're just, they're just so moody. They bite whenever they feel like it. They're not consistent. Um, so it helps when someone mans the boat. Yeah, for sure. I've only ever caught them through the ice. I've never caught one in liquid water. So, <laughs> well, it is water, huh? It's water. water. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not particularly hard to catch. They just aren't very. They're either on or off, or they don't care. They're apex predators, so they do whatever they want. If something looks good, they bite it. Um, everything else, they stare at. If they want to bite your hand, <laughs> leaning off the boat, they bite it or whatever. Um, so they're they're apex. They can do whatever they want. So there's no like that I can see logic to their biting patterns. And then they say uh, barometric pressure and all these other things influence on the moon. But I, I don't know about that. All right. So, so let's talk. So you, for gear, you just use some regular old, like what kind of fly rod are you using? Um, seven weights with just regular floating line or sinking line and a piece of 50 pound, um, 50 pound test on the end with a fly. So instead of using like a wire leader, it's 50 pound test. Yeah, and it's hard for them to chomp through fifty pound. Um, teeth. Yeah, and they can see. So I once I started this. A a, a woman by the name of um, oh I forgot who makes somebody makes these flies, and she gave me a few of them, and then I showed Mason, and he was like, "I'm going to tie those." Nomi Buckman is her name. She ties big predator flies. Nomi Buckman is (laughs) Nomi Buckman, and. Um, I remember, I don't know that Mason went for pike much either back in the day. So um, I had like four of these brand new mint, like hand tied, super lightweight flies. And he was like, dude, these are cool. Um, And that's what, I don't know, we've been doing this for years. That's what we started with. And now he's cloned that fly. He's um, made it his own. The one that we were using the other day, he put a rattle in, a glass rattle, which I think helped because the water was super murky because we got 10,000 10, <laughs> inches of rain in one day. Um, so, yeah, so they're just big, hairy, gunky flies that look like, I mean, we're, we, we like hot pink. I don't know why. Um, I think hot pink's my go-to most first choice of any color for lures or flies. If I find hot pink, that's what I start with. because it's. <sighs> and I, I never use pink flies. Somebody told me the fish nerds had like a contest and I got a pink fly yeah. in the mail and I used that until I lost it. it, was, it was Did you catch bad. fish on it? Yeah, it was a, it was like a bugger, a pink bugger. It was, a bugger. It was tied by um by Frank's Fly Arts. Oh, okay. Yeah, Michael Frank. Yeah, Michael Frank. Yeah. So, so casting these big giant flies, or I, I'm not a big fly fisher. I'm, I'm terrible at it. 
In fact, I broke my fly rod this spring and I never did it again. So, <laughs> not much point now. Yeah, yeah. So, tell me, is, is when you cast a giant fly, is there any technique difference, or is it fly just as good as anything else, or is it? it yeah, it's total technique. You know, it's not two-handed. Although I'm sure you could do it, but I striper fish quite a bit with a fly rod. So, uh, long, hard casts a lot different than the elegant presentation of a trout cast. So you just gotta chuck it and you got to get it to go pretty far um, because they're spooky. They're super spooky. So the farther you can go, you know, the, the, the more likely you are and the more water you can cover. So that's the thing with a spinning rod, you can cover tons of water fast. With like right, because you can cast big, a mile. Yeah. Especially if you're, you're fly, trying to plug that weighs eight ounces, you can just <laughs> cast it across the river. Right, right. So a fly gets really old really fast. And if they say, you know, fish of a thousand casts, a thousand times, your arm starts to fall apart. You whack yourself in the head when the wind's blowing with that fly. It's like, oh, it gets really old. So I usually peter out and turn to a spinning rod. Yeah, I can but, see the, uh, the, uh, the fun of getting to a beer fast (laughs) well we had a i don't think we had a rule but this time i'm like i'm not bringing beer i'm not bringing um a spinning rod and i'm gonna catch a damn you know one of these on the fly because it's been a long time and every time i do go i catch a pickerel which doesn't make any sense because which is nice but not what you're talking (laughs) now when when you went out this time does time of day matter do you go like it's right at you know butt crack of dawn or is it midday well it's kind of a funny story because we both had to drive through this blizzard snowstorm about 10 or 11 o'clock in in the morning um all through the mountains there was snow yeah nine inches of snow in jefferson yeah (laughs) well that's about where we were um so he's towing a boat through the snowstorm i'm going through all the notches and luckily my truck has big knobby wheels but i'm like i might not make it and then i'm like it's all part of the game it's part of the quest Mm -hmm. um so (laughs) off we went met up and then the sun came out so it was beautiful uh, the whole day after we got there yeah, it turned out to be a really nice day. It was right after that big snowstorm. Now, when Dave Kelman and I were chasing pike for the quest to catch all the fish in New Hampshire, we tried it in the summer a bunch of times. And we saw pike, but they never ate anything we were throwing at them. And then we had a big uh, pike quest day where we invited all our Facebook friends in one day to go pike fishing on Halloween. If you it was back in 2011, we had like eight canoes in the water. It was like 25 degrees out, windy and snowy, and not a single person saw a single fish in about six hours of playing. <laughs> yeah, that's pike fish. <laughs> and that's with an army of fishers in the water determined to get one fish for the quest. Yeah, that's about right. If you want to catch them, they're, they're not there. Yeah, so you got on the river, and how long on the river before you caught them? Um, it wasn't too long. It was like we were in the, the shallow spot where sometimes you'll see them feeding and like feeding on minnows, so we... Mm-hmm fish that and I'm like huh no fish and then meanwhile poor mason he's like i can never i can never help this guy catch catch a pike on the fly um and, and then we're both like nervous because i'm like i drove all this way i do this all the time i'm gonna, whatever and then i like flipped it over i remember i flipped the fly over into a deep spot we were fishing the bank i flipped it the other way for kicks i was noodling on my phone well, whatever put the phone away did like two strips and then bam, there it was. There was the one that we took the picture of, which wasn't even that big. It was just like such a, a prize because it was so hard fought. Like, I don't remember how many times I'd been out and not gotten one, like three times. Um, how big was he? Oh, it was like 10 pounds. I mean, he was bigger than any trout I caught all year <laughs> all across the whole country. Right. So it should mean something, but I'm like, it wasn't big enough because you got to hit that like 50 inch point to really you know, yeah. brag. Yeah. 
when, when we were on the quest, the one we got was, I think it was like 37 inches ice fishing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good that's size. Good. And I, I got know. lots of smaller ones, that went, but we had to eat one, so we had to keep that big one. Oh, so. um, we got a smaller one too, but we held it up to the camera as close as you could, but it just didn't. It just didn't vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so after you caught that one fish, you're like, okay, we're done. Let's go home. No, absolutely not. It was like, uh, the, oh, the skunk was off. So it was like, whew, this is totally worth it. Driving no through pressure. the snowstorm, uh, getting the boat in, all this stuff, climbing through the mud to get the boat in. It's like, okay, it's worth it. And then we fished some more. And then nothing, 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 nothing. And on the way back in, um, just same thing out of nowhere. A little one, little one hammered the fly. And uh, that was it. That was our day. You know, two pike day is a good day. It is a good day. My, <laughs> my, my good friend Andy in Connecticut wanted me to go with him um, with this, this like pike expert named Pogo. I, I, don't, I don't know the guy, but he's, he's a pike guy. Yeah. yeah, Pogo the pike guy. And he fished two days in the rain. And on the second day, on the seventh hour, he got one bigger than mine, much bigger than mine. So that, that happened like the day before. So I was hell bent on, I got to get something. So I tried to hold the fish the same as he did, and, and his is bigger. And you're like oh, pointing at the camera. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I know. Normally, I don't even like try to pose. I just hold it and go. Ah. Yeah, but you earned that one. So, so Mason, like, like Mason's been. Mason went to guide school with us. You went to the same. Yeah, right, right. right. You went to guide school with me as well, and. Uh, I can't imagine, like I have, like I, I, I guide for lake trout in the worst lake in the state and skunks are painful, but, but you expect at least to get like one lake trout, but on a, on a pike trip, you kind of expect a skunk. I, I wonder, I'm sure I had Mason come on the interview with this one. How was he dealing with the skunks in the last few trips he had with you? Well, remember, it's just me not catching him. Usually if we're with someone else or he casts. Like that, that kid can fish. I mean, he's good. his cast is amazing. And I don't know what he does, but he, he's good at it. So, no, it's me that doesn't catch the pike usually. Someone else does. Or, um, it's usually not a total skunk, though. I think the last time we went, it was total skunk. But I also think we were fishing for trout. So, I don't know. We, I go out with Mason a couple times a year. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. So now what? You've got your, you've got your pike? Are you done? Well, now I want more. Yeah, now I want a big one. <laughs> I, need a, I need a bigger one. Um I, I don't know. There's something about watching those those things creep up because they come up to the they just at the speed of light come up stop with their nose right on those flies and they look at it and you're like oh this is gonna be it and then they either bite or they go away. Yeah. Um, now I've never seen it with a pike on video, but I used to fish. Oh, I, I used to ice it, fish yeah. with a with a video, and I would jig for panfish where pickerel lived. And so you have like a tiny teardrop jig and a little maggot on there. And the pickerel would swim up to the jig and stare at it for like three, four minutes. And then surprising thing, most surprising thing about a pickerel, and I'm talking about pickerel because they're in the same family, is the pickerel would come up and nibble the maggot off the jig while I'm watching it. And I never wouldn't even feel the pickerel on there. Mm. Like, Like they can be that stealthy. And so I imagine a pike is like that times... 50 you know just a bigger stealthy oh yeah crazy full almost <laughs> whenever you see them they're in like six inches of water like they're you know their fins are almost out of the water the big ones they just sit there in the sun and ambush things it's pretty cool yeah but i like pickerel too if they they just don't get quite as big <laughs> no but you've you got know? some big pickerel in this quest that you've been after so yeah <laughs> in the last uh, the time i went out alone um I didn't even know. I like. I know the difference between the two. I can't always tell, but I know chains versus like little beans on a northern pike. 
And I was out there for six hours, whatever, just casting. And I finally caught something. I took a picture, threw it back in. I didn't register that it was a pickerel. <laughs> you were suffering from wishful thinking. You put it on Facebook and everyone's like, pickerel. You're like, I hate you. Why aren't you? Yeah, and I'm yet? like, no, it's not. <laughs> and then I look at it and I go, oh, it does have the line under the eye. But it didn't have real real bright chains, but it, the color of it. And I was like, oh, damn. Because I and thought And once same you've thing. got a handful of pike... It's it's like small mouth versus large mouth bass. Like you don't mix them up anymore. You're just like, oh, that's yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You get they're like, they're like old friends. You just know them. The weirdest part is that river usually has smallies everywhere, which are more fun. They're more fun to catch than pike anyhow. They're just not as fun to watch. Um, but we didn't catch any smallies. I don't, I don't understand it. They're always around. They're so much fun. But they were they were down, all down, so it was weird. I think with the they water bite. temperature dropping a little bit, that with the snow coming in, I think the fish just changed behavior on you and just got lucky with the pike. Yeah, and it was really weird because there were uh, lily pads all all through you know the, the bank, the shoreline, but the water was about a foot above the lily pads because they topped out where the water was low. So there was like this layer of cover a foot down of lily pads, like a wall. But they weren't, the fish weren't coming up through them. You know, you could drag a fly through it on top and not snag up. It was kind of cool, but they weren't ambushing. They were very um, patient, I guess. The most horrible pike story I ever heard was I was in Bennington, Vermont, around the Connecticut River, and I went to a sporting goods shop there, and I asked a guy about pike fishing, and he told me the story when he was a kid. He used to pike fish using live ducklings for bait. Yeah, yeah, I know this story. Yeah, so he would take a treble hook. He wouldn't hook the duckling. He would put a rubber band around the duckling and then let the duckling run across the lily pads and then wait for the pike to explode through them. And they would raise ducklings just for bait. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, cruel, but, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I was like, like a wind-up duck. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's it's probably like a rubber worm versus a real worm. The pike's like, hmm, I've eaten those before, and that one looks funny. That's that familiar. Looks, yeah, and well, little feathers. I wonder though. I I never read anything about it. But I wonder if pikes have pikes have pikes if pikes have really good eyesight. Like, are they like seeing the details of those flies or the details of your lures in a way that like a bass maybe doesn't notice or even a pickerel for that matter? Because maybe maybe that has to do with why they're so hard to catch. I, I don't think so. I think they're just moody. Hit them um, just right and they'll eat it. <laughs> yeah, and then hit it in the right day and you'll get a dozen. I think it was um, the first person I think I ever fly fished for pike with was Bill from uh, Lobstick Lodge, um, who likes pike in his spare time. He's a trout guide, but he's like, want to try pike? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I, and I more and more I would ask him, like, what, what do we do? What, what's, what are they doing? He's like, whatever they do. You know, don't try to figure it out. You'll go crazy. Yep. You just stop. And, and I, I can't because I'm always like, there's got to be a pattern. He's like, nope, they're moody. They do exactly what they want when they want. And no one tells them what to do otherwise. That's part of the allure, I guess. But um, well, You did it. Congratulations. Well done. <laughs> yeah, another fish. <laughs> but now I got to get more. There's like still time left. There's still time, so. Well, we're not making a whole hour long pike talk. We're just doing the real oh, I meant for fishing. Still oh. season. <laughs> <laughs> I still got some more time to go. I'm trying when, to figure out. When, uh, well, pike season's open all year, right? There's no, there's no closed. Not that I know season. of. No, not in the, not in the Connecticut. Yeah, the water, the, the temperature, the air temperature just gets cold. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, usually it gets nasty, rainy, miserable November. So it just yeah, gets... I, I wish we lived a little bit closer to that river because I would love to fish that more. So, yeah, so would I. 
I used to go to this setback over in Lancaster, New Hampshire, and go pike fishing in the wintertime. And that was like, you had to drive into Vermont, then onto a farm's back property, and then access through some common use yeah, land. Some, <laughs> some guy's lawn, yeah. Yeah, really, that's how it is. And, and you just do it, and so much fun. And uh, But it's, it's uh, which, which really fun, is for ice fishing for pike, you set the traps, and you wait, and you're using huge shiners, and you just jig, and uh, and you're catching tons of big yellow perch while you're waiting. So you're mm-hmm. you're not waiting around with nothing to do. You're catching perch while you're waiting for pike to catch, and then usually you get one or two little ones, and if you're lucky, you get a big one. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if I want to target them on the ice. They're so slow and moody. It's not very, you know, well, a trap right. like. Yeah, mm. you, you put you put out five traps, and then you just jig. That's it. Yeah, drink beer, I guess. Drink beer, yeah. But it's a long drive and for a skunk. <laughs> yeah. And well, the, the weird part is right down in Massachusetts, there's tons of pike, but it's just the areas you have to go. I just don't, I don't like urban fishing <laughs> ghetto. Urban fishing. <laughs> I don't like it when everyone goes, oh, make sure you don't leave anything in your car because it'll get robbed. And I'm sure like, you oh. paid your insurance off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't, and it's just dirty. It's just the rivers there crummy, but there's tons of bike down there. Well, you get down to like Lawrence, Massachusetts and stuff, and it's yeah. of fish down there. I mean, fishing in Lawrence is great anyway. And, it's just um, not the experience <laughs> I like. I'd rather get skunked in the woods than um, haul in fish in the, in the, in the city, urban. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's pike fishing. So good. That, that's yeah, whole don't, don't do it. Don't. don't bother. <laughs> and muskies on the list. When I was up in uh, Wisconsin, there's musky lakes. I couldn't catch those on anything. So that's going to be there someday. I hear muskies are harder, harder than pike. Yeah, they're a fish of 10,000 casts or something. There's always something. But. Yeah, I did a lecture at the Amoskeag Fishways in Manchester once a few years back. And uh, as a thank you, they gave me a mounted, like, 40-inch pike. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Like, so, good, we got rid of it. Oh, that's exactly because they only want native fishes. And they had it donated, and so it was no good for them. So it's hanging on my wife's kindergarten classroom wall. And the teeth oh. on that are, like, two inches long. I mean, it's a scary animal. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I can't remember. I was on Umbagog earlier this year, and I had a pike off the edge of my kayak, and it wasn't a pike; it was a pickerel, and it literally jumped up and it bit me in the arm, and I had teeth like a chunk taken out of my arm from a pickerel. Um, I got pictures of it. It was really weird. There's like a ring of blood coming on my arm, yeah. and and their teeth are tiny compared to what you're trying to get. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But I didn't expect him to launch straight up in the air and chomp on my arm, but he was pissed. So So I was once canoeing, and I had a rubber worm dangling off the front of my canoe, probably a foot and a half out of the water. And while I was paddling across the lake, I caught a pickerel, jumped out of the water, and was just hanging from that rubber worm. I love pickerel. (laughs) They're so much easier and fun. They just don't get as big. I haven't caught one pickerel the whole summer this year. I didn't catch very many. Um, I don't know what was going on. I still don't know what happened this year. It was a weird year. I don't know. It's it's going to be a weird winter too. So hopefully we just get through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's nothing else to do but ice fish, I guess. So I, I guess better not. get used to it. I'm waiting for the ice now. Get my shack ready to go. Cool. Mm. Awesome. Thanks, Rich Collins, for that story. And I uh, hope you get another pike before the season's over. Greg, you listened to, in on that one last night. What'd you think of it? I did. Uh, it was it was great. I, I love 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 hearing what Rich has to say. Yeah, Rich is a good guy. He also uh, he also saved our day. Our our website host 
we were on a on a on a page called iPages, and our website got hacked a few months ago. And Rich Collins, Ouch. yeah, Rich Collins grabbed our stuff and rebuilt a brand new website for us. Um, iPages, who was supposed to take care of us, wanted to charge me like eight hundred dollars to save the day. I'm like, yeah, no. No, like, I, I got rich. from 11 years and rich is like yeah you don't need That's any right. garbage <laughs> so yeah so he runs uh thirst productions is his game and he runs a uh, he makes web design stuff happen so good yeah so that's it you know you've made a whole podcast now what'd you think about being on the podcast i i loved being on the podcast it I, goes fast I, it does go fast too fast <laughs> call me back if you want me to do it again sometime i i you never know i love having a co-host i i try running a solo once in a while and it's hard for me, so I'm super happy to have someone to bounce bounce off of a little bit. So I nice. find the same thing with with my podcast. I, I had a co-host at one point, and he he moved on, and I did it solo for a few times, and it was horrible. But I have a co-host again; it's the best. It's the best. Even like last week, my daughter Zoe co-hosted with me just because I need somebody else in the room. And she did a great job. I want more Zoe. Oh, everyone wants more Zoe, but she's, uh, we're doing remote learning with her right now. So she has to focus right. on learning math. There you go. <laughs> That's important. important. Math is important. All right. There's a little script right in front of you, Greg. Absolutely. That's it. You have listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks to our families for tolerating this podcasting silliness. Our Patreon supporters for funding the fun. Wally Pleasant and Diane's Basalts for our music. Big fat thanks to Tim Beat. And Rich Collins for putting together their correspondent work this week. And, of course, Greg from the Unraveling Podcast. Thank you for your time tonight. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, Clay. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, so until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. You did it. You made a podcast. Congratulations. I, I feel so special. Getting those ankles wet. A hero. Or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. <laughs> Just for the hell of it. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Isn't that a good theme song? It's the best. Yeah, that's uh, Wally Pleasant. And I was a fan of his music when I was 19 years old, 18 years old. Huge fan. He was big in the college circuit and on like, uh, on like uh, you know, pirate radio stations and underground stuff. He was in all the zines back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I went to see him play a few times. And man, he's great. And then I found out he had a book called uh, Thousand and One Oyster Jokes. And I used that as leverage to get him on the podcast. And then okay. while I had him on the show, I said, can you write me a theme song? And he did it for free. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, that's awesome. So to go from a big fan to having one of my favorite like artists make my music is pretty like terrific. A, like a commission, a free commission. I know. And, and he did it for nothing. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, good job. Well, congratulations. You made a podcast. I'm going to push stop on the recording. I'll keep you on here for a minute more. Now, I'm yeah. recording.